heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It is Tuesday morning, the 24th of May. Wowee. A very good morning to everybody through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers and the Hot Country Network. Now, Wooshka at Rural Queensland Today is the place for these downloads. You can go there anytime you like. Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Looking forward to having with you this morning Louise Martin joining us from the ICPA. We'll catch up with Robbie Catter, Barb Mannon and the Australian Lot Feeders Association President, and we're also going to talk about that Tambo Camp Draft as well. So much to get through this morning. It's a big show for you. Uh, it is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Let's kick off. Louise Martin, ICPA Queensland President, joins us this morning. Teacher shortages in some of the regional Queensland schools are so dire, they are flying in uh, metropolitan teachers um, to try and fill critical vacancies. Louise, this doesn't surprise me. Um, It's the same with the health and the education. It has just been put to the wayside year on year and it's about time we get it fixed once and for all. Uh, Ben, thanks for having me on. Uh, Yeah, just a couple of things. The the government have been talking about teacher shortages in, in, you know, around this time for ages now. Um, and I guess at the moment it's a bit of a perfect storm. You know, we've had COVID. We um, There's a lot of teachers who are missing out on PDs. There's teachers who are unable to teach in schools because they're not vaccinated anymore. It's difficult to get teachers out into rural and remote areas in the first place. So I guess at the moment it's a bit of a perfect storm. And, you know, I, we welcome the initiative from the department to... Um, create this pool of teachers who are willing to go out and fill in the gaps Um, because I do know that the teachers on the ground are just working extraordinary hours as it is. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. The biggest thing about it is that, you know, the the hours that they're working and and how the the lack of support is enough – for anybody to, to drive them. So what do you guys do with a new with a new federal government, obviously, but a state government are only really at the moment um, focusing on very much the metropolitan areas. There, there hasn't been a real push regionally. Look, we work very closely with the rural remote um, um, department, which is part of Education Queensland, and they are doing their best with what capacity they have to to encourage teachers going out west. There's a lot of programs, actually, that we don't really hear much of, um, incentives to get teachers over the range, one being beyond the range. It's a matter of um, trying to break the, break the spell that coming west is, is, is like a sentence, not a, 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 a doing a tour of duty of, of not a good time, you know, and it's a great time out here. For some reason, we, we're struggling with, with that myth that going west is, is not going to be a pleasurable experience and they're scared. So we, we continue to work with the government with that and I think they are trying the best with what they've got, but there is just generally a national teacher shortage because um, I don't think teaching has um, 
been seen as an esteemed profession to go into and um, and with the curriculum being so heavy these days, um, why would you? I mean, it's just huge, huge role on, on teachers' shoulders, especially out here when a lot of the teachers are, who do come out here are inexperienced um, in teaching in rural, not only getting to know a rural remote area, but teaching multi-age classrooms often on their own. So it's very, very challenging times, Ben. So, okay, we've seen it with the with the health department, with doctors, that we're educating our doctors in the bush and we're trying to get more GPs to go regionally. Is it that we could set up curriculums in regional areas for teaching and get bush kids that want to be bush kids and try and create our own so we don't have a shortage and so we've got rural and remote kids? Because – it used to be a rite of passage that metropolitan people moved to the bush and they and they loved it and they, you know, God forbid, they stayed there, some didn't, you know, um, and some created a life. Is there that possibility that we could then start to look for a pathway to get our kids educated in the bush and remain here as teachers? Um, well, Ben, that, you mentioned that and that we do have um, a few motions on our and our agenda for our upcoming conference in Blackhall, which is on the eighth and ninth of June. And to that exact effect, we want to see young people, people who are already working in the schools as teacher aides, um, etc., upskilling our people uh, and giving them an opportunity to become teachers without having to travel to the city. To do that, I mean, there's a lot of online courses now, um, and I know several people who are doing teaching um, online. The the issue can be is that where do they go to do their practicum experiences? They can do one practicum experience at their local school, but then they've got to go further afield. Yeah. I know one person who's you know living in near Tambo and going all the way to Morven for a practical oh, um, session. And we and and not getting any compensation for that. So that's our current uh, coming up at conference. We'll be lobbying for that. That there is something that we can assist our young people out here to to encourage them to take on teaching because we know they will stay here, and that's exactly right. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> what are the other motions? Obviously, this conference coming up in June, um, and it's a big day for Blackall. I mean, they're on the Today Show this morning um, and the surrounding areas, but what are the other big motions that you guys are looking for in this conference coming up in early June? Uh, things that are coming to, to light is that um, in our teacher training, uh, t- tertiary trade training portfolio, is the lack of support for young apprentices, Ben, you know, are young people who who've come from out here who have to go away and leave their home um, to um, seek apprenticeships, and they're often young, never left home, and they're expected to land in a big town, um, take on a job, look after themselves on not much, uh, you know, not much money. Apprentices don't get much money, and there's just that lack of pastoral support for our young apprentices who have to leave home to to source the apprenticeship. And, you know, the attrition rate's pretty high because these young people don't are not getting the support. So we're just trying to work out who should be responsible for that. Um, is it the RTOs? Is, should there be some government plan in place to help these kids? So that's, that's one big thing um, that we're really pushing forward um, at conference, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, <clears throat> that's, the, that's the big thing moving forward, isn't it? Um, 
Um, you know, we need to try and get that. But the real shortage of teachers and the strategy that's been piloted uh, needs to be changed. There's critical vacancies in rural and regional schools and it needs to get sorted out sooner rather than later. Uh, it's a real issue. Um, the Teacher Rapid Response Team, uh, which was established in the school term, is recruiting a pool of South East Queensland teachers that can fill shortage in regional schools at short notice. So far, there's 38 teachers in the pool and nine have been deployed to schools in central Queensland. I mean, let's let's avoid this. Let's try and avoid this so we don't have to worry about this anymore. Teachers, teachers can choose to extend their work there, relocate or take up a permanent position while the incentives include funded accommodation, an allowance of equivalent to $100 a day to assist with their living costs and payment for a locality allowance. So they're actually better off if they do go regional. You know, there's no two ways about it, but it's whether or not we can keep them there and try and make it more appeasing for them to come there. Oh, that, that's exactly right, Ben. Um, you know, hopefully, it, it would be lovely if, if these teachers who went out there actually thought, oh, this is actually a pretty good place yeah. and uh, we might, they might stay. So something's better than nothing, I suppose, Ben. And uh, I know we do applaud the department putting this pool of teachers together to, to help those out here because it is a huge struggle at the moment. So, yeah, so... Perfect. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I agree. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Ben. Bye now. Louise Martin, ICPA President. This is Rural Queensland Today. Okay, welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Well, this is a first for me. Robert Catter, leader of the Catter Party Australia, joins us this morning from the skies. He's flying back to Mount Isa this morning and he talks to us. Uh, mate, you, you flash these days. You can be on the phone and fly a, a, fly a plane, mate. Things have changed a lot for an old bushy. Mate, there's no flight attendants in this plane. I think if you're here with me, you'd realise it's not that flash. 10, mon- 10 nautical miles west of Charters South, 5,000 feet in the air. Not too fancy here, Dubbo. Hey, mate, um, <laughs> it's been a big couple of days um, uh, for the election result. What's your initial take on it? Oh, mate, to be honest, I'm a bit depressed. Particularly that if you if you look at those teal independents and everything, it's like it's like you've had a big vote in climate for climate change in Australia and the sort of the woke brigade because um, that's that's where the trend is. Yeah, you can't say there's been some decent independents and what have you in Queensland that didn't do uh, as well as I thought they would. Jack Dempsey down in um, Bundaberg was good far. Uh, it didn't do as well, so it wasn't like a swipe across the board where you just got um, others. There was a trend towards there, but unfortunately, it was this, it's this new sort of, um, I don't know what you say, woke brigade, climate change sort of thing. There's kids in the city being indoctrinated, and um, that's, that's going to be a tough battle to fight, I think, for the bush going ahead. Yeah, I, I think that the fact that the Greens are so heavily entwined now that it, nothing is going to be easy at all, uh, like n- nothing at all to try and get through. It's a very much a green vote now. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be a challenge and, you know, perhaps, um, perhaps uh, it really sort of delights myself and I know the fathers have got to recalibrate this and, um, and see how we can try and punch through and work with others in there to try and uh, punch through that because, it, uh, you know, I think a lot of your listeners would agree with us that it's, it's pretty dangerous sort of uh, ideas that a lot of these people propagate and if, uh, if you've got any hope for the future of Australia. So, yeah, I'm not, you know, if you, if you started asking questions to them about what are you going to do about the fence in China and, um, you know, restoring manufacturing, those sort of things, I'm not too sure they'd have very many answers. Or, you know, fuel security, how are you going to feed yourself? 
uh, those important questions. So um, I'm pretty sure they're not going to have very many answers. I think they'll all come back to climate change all the time. Well, the thing about it is we just don't know who's going to be looking after the rural portfolio, do we? I mean, we, we, we're still a long way away from fully decided, and, and it's a scary thing, this Labor government. I mean, Anthony Albanese is not a bad bloke. I, I said this yesterday. It, it, it's, a, it's a very, very different landscape now. Uh, yeah, look, I'll probably get crucified the same. It's probably as good as you're going to get for a Labor leader. But um, but the, the thing is, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of an oxymoron saying a Labor bag minister. Um, <laughs> you just got to hope they don't do too much damage, really. And um, I guess try and find some ground where you can work with them on. I mean, there are some signs, and again, I could be crucified for saying this, but there are some signs in... Queensland that, you know, um, just saying that they'll, even if they don't end up following through on Paradise Dam, but you're saying they're going to rebuild Paradise Dam and um, building trains again in Maribyrnong. I mean, that tells me there might be some people that are starting to wake up a bit in Treasury and, and um, some of these government departments that, that, are, uh, that guide the ministers that are saying, hey, we better start trying to feed ourselves again and start to rebuild things. Uh, that because we'll you know this, we're heading off a cliff. That tells me you know it gives me a tiny bit of hope. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the electoral. If I'm going to take anything off that electoral result, although it's um, let's just say it's going to be challenging times ahead. Yeah, it certainly will be. What about your father? He's um, his approval rating is just so big, and a great result for him. Yeah, not, you know, you don't want to pat yourself on the back too much, Bobo. Like, you know, there's always things, uh, there's a lot of things I'd be critical of him that he could do better. Um, and But I think it, just in these regional seats, familiarity and the brand you can trust, I think um, people are getting so distrustful of politicians in general in politics that if you can just prove that you, you don't move too much from where you are and that, you, you know, you um, put a stake in the ground and here I am, you might not agree with a lot of things I say, but this is, at least you know what you get. I think that's a pretty valuable commodity in today's politics. So, um, yeah, so he, he did pretty well on that basis, I guess. But, mate, there's a lot of things we could be doing better too. Yeah, it's a worry. What are the big challenges now for this government and trying to keep agriculture and mining strong? Because to me, there seems there's going to be a real push, this carbon neutral and this net zero, that, that there's a real climate push going to ch- happen now. Yeah, mate. Well, you know, I was talking to someone at the Cape the other day about the carbon credits. I, I mean, I don't really know about these carbon credits down south, but I just think they're absolute rubbish up in the Cape. I think they're a euphemism for... Or you know a Trojan horse for just locking up the cape for the greenies, but um, you know all that sort of business is going to be very hard to turn around. But um, you know I, I think with agriculture in general, like if you, it's one of those things. If you're not if you're not going forward, you're going backwards, and um, we've got to completely continually innovate and create more opportunities in agriculture. And one of that is water storage. You know if we're not uh, starting to dam these rivers and uh, and provide some water storage. Uh, so some some off-trend stores somewhere. We're we're just um, we're buggered in the future, Bobo. And, and um, if that's not an imperative of this government, any going forward, um, and it'll be it'll be interesting to test that early on to see where they stand on that sort of stuff. Because, uh, like I said, I think questions are being asked of um, uh, at least of some of the bureaucrats you now, saying, "Well, how are you going to start to repair this budget in the long term, or how are you going to address some of these issues?" And that's the only way I can interpret some of the decisions that have been made. 
um, and the state government like that uh, Paradise Dam rebuild or like those trains being rebuilt in Berabar, those sort of things tell me that um, there must be some people asking some questions there and I guess that's the point that we want to focus on, uh, whatever it is that's driving those sort of decisions, get in and into that space and try and push that forward because um, it's, you know, if we're not um, stimulating things like agriculture and manufacturing, I think our economy starts to erode from beneath and, um, and we've got some tough times ahead. Yeah, you're dead right. Um, what's going on in your neck of the woods, mate? Is the cold weather set in yet? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's probably very pleasant at the moment in the mornings and, um, yeah, um, I'm still trying to catch up where all the, all the misses are in the rain because we've got some areas um, like the Flinders side that are still uh, very dry and they've, they've refused to drought to clear it. And, um, you know, everyone's, I, I think people that do that sort of sit in Brisbane sort of, they see these rain bands of rain going through and go, oh, problem solved, you know, everything's good, but they don't have enough ground treating and, um, We've got some problems there on the ground in Flinders Shire with, um, with those in the drought committees and making sure that there's, um, there's declarations made where they should be. And the other thing that's popped up for us, Robbo, is the uh, childcare um, recently in, in some of these areas because we've had some problems in Jury Creek. Um, if you've got any listeners out there that are keen for a tree change, and um, uh, we desperately need a childcare work in Jury Creek because we're struggling to keep their childcare uh, alive there. And if you don't have childcare in town, it's very hard to keep people employed and keep the town going. Yeah, um, yeah, you're dead right. Um, we need to have those kind of things. We need those kind of services. Really appreciate your time from the friendly skies, mate. Good to talk to you, and thanks so much for being with us this morning. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. It is when, uh, Tuesday morning, the 24th of May. Barb Madness, Australian Lot Feeders Association President, and she joins us this morning. Barb, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Ben. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Really well. Um, the early supply chain disruptions of 2022 through COVIDs and floods haven't impacted the continued growth and strength of the feedlot sector. Now, there's no two ways about it. It's been the shining light. It really has. I don't say that there's been an enormous amount of money in it day in, day out over the last couple of years, but the, from a supply chain perspective, it's been quite unbelievable, the numbers and how they continue to be fed here in Australia. That's right. We've got a record-breaking first quarter 2022 figures with 1.2 million cattle on feed around the country. And so what it does show is that there's, strong demand, um, both internationally and domestically, for grain-fed product. And um, producers know, or processors and customers know, that we can produce consistent supply of high-quality grain-fed beef. Yeah, it is quite unbelievable. So the numbers-wise, at the end of March 2022, were 1.269 million, um, which is just quite unbelievable on feed. That's an increase of over 100,000 in the last quarter. What's that off the back of, considering the seasons have been so good? Well, and that that is the remarkable thing. We've we've, uh, been experiencing this herd rebuild. We've got tight cattle supply. We've got high cattle prices. So these numbers are quite remarkable. And considering, as you mentioned, we've got some significant global challenges uh, impacting not only our industry, but, uh, you know, a lot of industries, whether it be COVID-related, the war in Ukraine, you know, supply chain logistics. So there's a a lot of headwinds um, facing our industry at the moment. But I think it goes back to this just strong demand for high-quality, consistent product. Uh, And that's just something that uh, the feedlot industry produces every single day, rain, hail or shine. And let me know, let, let me tell you, there's been a lot of rain around at the moment, uh, Ben, and every single day we're trucking cattle 
out of feedlots um, to processors to meet the, their specifications. Yeah, and it's quite unbelievable, um, you know, that the weather, how how has that affected it? I mean, from a sickness perspective, everybody would be worried in feedlots because it, it, rain can cause sickness. It, it's a real hindrance. No one wants to shoo the rain away. But from a feedlotting time, I mean, everybody would be sick of bunk cleaning wouldn't they, at the moment. Oh, look, it's all just part of uh, what we do every single day and working outdoors, uh, no matter what industry you're in, uh, when it rains, it can be a little uncomfortable. But we certainly welcome the rain. There were so many years where we were all looking at the sky, you know, wondering if it would ever rain again. Um, so uh, we're, we're very grateful that we've had this wonderful season. It is causing some challenges, but overall, um, you know, no farmer will ever knock back the rain. Yeah, it's quite interesting because we see this industry from from a profit making. I understand the feedlots, but from individuals, um, from individuals, there's not a huge dollar in it. Now there has been at the past. How do you keep people committing to 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 making this such a sustainable industry, which it is, to staying on the path, uh, knowing that at the moment there's just no there's um, just probably no joy in it, but there will be eventually in time. Considering grain's going to go up, we understand We understand the complexities around feedlotting, but you want this industry to be sustainable. So is that the real challenge at the moment to keep people on the bit going at it? Oh, look, I think, of course, there, there are always going to be challenges uh, when it comes to uh, agricultural industries. So lot feeding is no exception to that, but that is the one thing that feedlots do. We manage as we manage um, the logistics of commodities coming and going every single day. We manage the cattle uh, movements coming and going every single day. So the challenges uh, and obviously high grain prices uh, coming into the second quarter in March tw- in 2022 are going to be a challenge for the uh, feedlot industry with tight margins, as you say. But I think uh, we've been doing this a very long time now and we're actually a sophisticated part of the beef supply chain and we understand our numbers uh, and it's because it's what we do every single day. So I think no longer are we in that cycle of feedlots fill up when it's dry and we empty out when you know there's plenty of grass around. We're this sophisticated part of the beef supply chain and um, yes, there will be we will be experiencing some times, tough times, but I'm confident that, um, that, as I said, there's this strong international domestic demand for our high-quality, safe product, and uh, that's what will be keeping us sustainable moving forward. Yeah, that's the big thing. What are the other challenges? I mean, change of government, and there's a, and I'm being genuine here, there's a green movement. Um, what does a feedlotting association have to do to protect itself? Because we don't want to, we don't want to go back to the dark days of people trespassing and carrying on like they have been and being endorsed. Oh, look, I think any change in government is always people get a bit spooked early on. But I think it's about being proactive on the front foot, um, meeting with the, our new uh, Labor Ag Minister and voicing our top priorities that we think are, uh, you know, important him or her to consider. So I think it's about, and, and this is something that Alpha has been proactive for a very long time. Um, we've got a long-standing quality assurance program. In fact, one of the first um, ag-based quality assurance programs uh, created in Australia. So we've got a long-standing history of putting uh, animal welfare, environmental sustainability at the forefront of everything that we do. So a changing government um, 
is going to be no exception to us continuing those best practice principles and with a view to we actually have nothing to hide. So it's about transparency in our production systems and um, trying to communicate to curious consumers uh, exactly what we do, why we do it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, seeing how the you navigate your way because you're doing a phenomenal job. It's such an important industry now to the agricultural sector. Um, there are some challenges. There always is going to be. Um, but gee whiz, we're producing and providing just a phenomenal product now um, that is now considered on the world stage as as a superior as any other beef product, our grain-fed product. Unbelievable, isn't it? It sure is, yes. Plenty of our uh, Australian uh, branded beef owners are winning nas- international awards. So, yes, we have a very strong reputation around the world for producing high-quality, consistent, delicious, uh, you know, safe meat that people uh, are feeding their families. And I think fundamentally that's that's what we do every single day is produce this high-quality food, um, nutrient-dense food to feed the world. So I just, yeah, yeah, it, it's a tremendously noble um, thing that we do and we work hard at it every single day. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, Barb. Great to chat. Um, phenomenal job. Australian Lot Feeders Association President Barb Madden. Madden, I appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Good on you. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. Well, look, I I, I do want to talk about this, and I'm not going to get bogged down on the political side of it, but Labor has to rebuild its reputation in regional Queensland, and Anthony Albanese has come out and said he's going to do that. They're going to focus on delivering project it promised to the regions in an effort to build it, rebuild its reputation after it failed to pick up any seats in Queensland. So Anthony Albanese understands that. And he understands there was a swing of up to 7% in some regional states, but it failed to pick up any new seats. A battery manufacturing precinct and a hydrogen hub in Gladstone, military training simulator in Townsville, flood levies in Mackay, resource centres in Moorumbah, upgrading the Corunda Ranges and the Great Barrier Reef are some of the big projects they want to deliver on. Insiders within the party stressing that despite winning the election, the party needs to do better in Queensland and the regions. Now, we know that there's going to be an upgrade on the Bruce Highway. We understand that they are going to also give the commitment of trying to keep that Sunshine Coast Rail extension. But there's also some policies that they want to scrap. They want to, They also want to scrap construction, what job the Australian Building and Construction Commission that's being criticised. So one thing they do want to do Murray Watt, the Senator, who held the Northern Australian Emergency Management and Queensland Resource Portfolios in opposition, said that Anthony Albanese had been sworn in as Prime Minister and the party could get on with delivering the projects it committed to. They want to make real inroads into several Queensland seats in the election. So, are Labor the people that we can trust? Well, in the past we can't, but the Greens who are on track to hold at least three House of Representative seats and 12 Senate spots want to see an end to mining and exporting of coal as well as coal-fired power stations by 2030. But Greens leader Adam Brandt had said that at least want a uh, moratorium on the new coal projects from this term of government. Labor is already eyeing off the outer suburban and regional seats of Longman, Leichhardt, Capricornia in the hopes of regaining ground in southeast Queensland. Now, there was a 6.7% swing to Labor in Capricornia, 4% in Flynn and Longman, though... It was nothing on moving forward. So 
is Anthony Albanese true to his word? Is he going to marry up and make sure that he was absolutely, he is absolutely 100% committed long term? So I, I, I just don't understand, you know, why, why he can't come forward now and tell us who the ag minister is going to be. I can't understand why he also and why we don't realise exactly what moving forward is going to happen. Now, let's talk country life this morning um, and we're going to have and talk obviously some big things happening. Labor won't need the Greens to form government. That's one thing we know. And so, yeah, the fact is that we don't need to rely on the Greens. Um, the Labor Party will actually do that in their own right. And so, even though they've negotiated some things, the Greens' demands um, won't necessarily have to get impacted. Labor snapped live cattle ban in 2011. It was always at the front of mind in rural voters. And despite announcing a policy to phase out live sheep exports, Labor has repeatedly vowed it would not touch the live cattle exports, even going as far as promising it to continue support for the industry. I believe that when I see it. I really will. Making news as well, as I said, um, the, the Today Show is obviously working very closely um, as they are obviously working throughout. They're in black all this morning, which was good to see, and I think it's fantastic um, that we now have a situation. Absolutely unbelievable if we could see them going through all of <laughs> regional Queensland. Well done to Queensland, still the powerhouse of the bull riding, and they won the PBR on the weekend. Any hopes of New South Wales bull riders uh, getting a state of origin win were dumped in the dirt on Saturday night. Queensland team, which dominated the series since it began in 2019, proved Australia's best bull riding powerhouse, taking out the 2022 PBR Origin Championship crown. Now, despite successfully securing the first ever win in Tamworth last month, New South Wales, they absolutely got smoked. Uh, it was a really big effort and one that everybody was very, very happy about. Uh, it's a great thing. Good to see Kurt Capel going in there. A lot of the Broncos were there to obviously um, offer support and, and a great crowd was ha- had and in time was enjoyed in Brisbane. So well done to Queensland on winning that. Lots to get through. Uh, as we said, we'll catch it up and you can get in contact with me anytime you like. Ben.dobbin at ruralqldtoday.com.au. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland Today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're back tomorrow, same time, same place. And Ray Hadley joins you next. Have a great day from everybody here at Rural Queensland Today. Remember, when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Till next time, it's bye for now.